Fifty years ago, Americans landed on the moon. And we've been watching documentaries with former astronauts, scientists, and engineers who worked on that great mission. But what did regular people living at the time have to say about it? That's coming up today on The Off-Ramp with Bob Smith. Welcome to the Off-Ramp, a place to slow down, steer clear of crazy, and get some perspective on life. I'm Bob Smith. At 9.32 a.m. Eastern Time, that huge 36-story high launch vehicle is scheduled to thunder to life, pushing the astronauts into temporary orbit around the Earth. And two and a half hours later, another rocket burn will send the spacecraft on its way to the moon. If you were alive 50 years ago this summer, you remember how everyone was talking about men landing on the moon. It was the culmination of more than 20 U.S. space flights over nine years, flights spanning three presidential administrations, from John F. Kennedy to Richard Nixon. And it was truly a shared experience. Everywhere, everyone was talking about the moon, what they thought we'd find, what we might bring home, and what the moon would mean to the future of life on Earth. That summer, I was a 17-year-old who just graduated from high school, and I asked those questions of the people surrounding me. I was fascinated by the Apollo 11 mission, and I made plans to capture audio of the landing and exploration from television and radio. But I also captured observations, thoughts, and predictions of everyday people, people who were very close to me. I've kept those recordings for half a century and thought it might be interesting to share some of them with you on this anniversary. They represent a microcosm of what Americans were thinking as their country pursued the greatest adventure ever attempted, landing human beings on another celestial body. Unlike today's documentaries with former astronauts, scientists, and engineers who worked on the program, my interviewees were family, relatives, and friends, starting with my sister Susan, mother Nancy, and father Robert Smith. Do you envision yourself taking a trip to the moon or another planet within the next, let's say, 30 years? No, not in the next 30 years. How long do you think it'll be? 100. How, what do you think of the interplanetary space travel in the next part of this century? I don't believe there will be any. Do you think there'll ever be any commercial flights of a passenger spaceship to other planets in the future at all? If there is, I don't believe you'll live to see it, or me either. I don't think there's any people on the moon. I don't think they'll find any life on the moon, in real life, like human. I don't think you could live up there very long. What do you think about the future of um, interplanetary space travel in this last part, next part of the century? I can't see any reason for anybody wanting to go there and come back. After we explored it, and uh, there's nothing there, why would anybody want to go there for vacation? Well, I wouldn't hardly think so. Would you? Do you think the Apollo 11 astronauts will find any life at all on the moon? Maybe plants. Do you think there may be some plants? Maybe. Anything else? Rocks. Dust. 
No peoples. In Mars there are, though. <laughs> Amazingly, my 16 and 17-year-old friends gave me the most lucid scientific responses to my questions. Mike Lefferson, Janet Strange, and Frank Kitchell are all near 70 now. But 50 years ago, they were teenagers. Do you think the astronauts will find any life at all on the moon? Well, I think it would be very improbable because of the, let me see, the way the moon was formed and since there's no atmosphere and it's such um, rough terrain and other things, I don't think there would be any form of life as we know it. What do you think of uh, the future of interplanetary space travel, that is, travel between uh, Earth and other planets within the last part of the century? Well, I think if we make it to the moon, then I think it's definitely, definitely a good chance that we do have interplanetary travel. What is it going to be like, Frank? Just a big chunk of dirt out there. They're just going to land in there, uh, find, you know, pick up the rocks and uh, take off again. I don't think they'll find any life at all. You think there'll be some commercial flights and it was in the next uh, part of this century? Unless they find some rare chemical rock, I don't think there'll be any commercial flights, as you say. That, you know, they'll export and anything like that. And interplanetary travel in this solar system, to a point, they'll have that. But I don't think, the, as far as going to another solar system, I don't think they'll ever make it with rocket ships as they have now. They'll never make it. How do you see the future of uh, interplanetary space travel within this last part of this century? Well, I think within the next 20 years, we'll see trips to the moon every day, and, and that will be just one of the main bases to more interplanetary travel. Instead of taking off from the Earth, we just shuttle to the moon, and therefore we can travel to many other places without as much rocket fuel and other things, which we need so much on Earth to get away from the gravitational pull. But it was my father, a World War II veteran, who put the existential danger of the moon mission into simple words. I, I'm not even more serious in my life, but I'm afraid that they'll possibly something happen, they'll both get killed. It could happen very easily. All that thing has to do is tip over and they're done. I think it's 24 or 48 hours and they run out of oxygen and there they are, besides the American flag. Ten. Nine, ignition sequence starts. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff, we have a liftoff. 32 minutes past the hour. Liftoff on Apollo 11. Oh boy. Oh boy, it looks good, Wally. Getting that buffeting we've become used to. What a moment. Man on the way to the moon. This was how CBS News correspondent Reed Collins saw it. We're down to 15. We're down to 12, 11, 10. Nine, ignition sequence start. We should see fire. Four, three, two, one. We have ignition. We have tremendous flame out there. All engines, and we have liftoff. She's rising. She's yawing now to clear the tower. That slight yaw 
Now the huge tail is passing the tower. She's lifting up. We have tower clear. We have tower clear. We're beginning to feel the first thunderous roar. I can see her rising now as she's going up straight into the roll program, which she should be completing. We should expect to hear from the astronauts as this spit of land is beginning to shake with the power of it, the power of it as it goes through a slight wisp of cloud. That was recorded from the CBS Television Network on Wednesday, July 16th. Now let's switch to the day of the moon landing, July 20th. By now, we've all seen the black-and-white footage of the Apollo 11 Eagle landing craft touching down, casting its shadow on the surface and stirring up some dust. The only thing is, no one on Earth saw that that day. That was film footage, and it wasn't seen until after the astronauts returned to Earth. NASA didn't turn on the TV cameras until hours later to capture Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin taking the very first moonwalk. That means that everyone at Mission Control and everyone on Earth on July 20th, 1969, followed the landing like you will right now, listening to audio only and imagining what the scene looked like. 100 feet, three and a half down, nine forward. Five percent. 15, 75. 13, 12, 11. 75 feet. Guys looking good, down a half. Pitch forward. 60 seconds. Lights on. Down two and a half. Forward. Forward. Good. 30 feet down, two and a half. Picking up some dust. 30 feet, two and a half down. Great shadow. Four forward. Four forward, drifting to the right a little. Right. Down a half. 30 seconds. Forward. Okay, engine stop. APA at a descent. Hose control both auto, descent engine command override off. Engine arm off. 413 is in. We copy you down, Eagle. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. The lunar module has landed on the moon. We copy you on the ground. You got a bunch of guys about to turn blue. We're breathing again. Thanks a lot. You hear the talk in the background between Houston and the LEM. It is on Thank the you. moon. You're looking good here. Okay, we're going to be busy for a minute. After I'm on, take care of the Two Americans have landed on the moon. Neil Armstrong now. We haven't heard the first words of their impressions of the moon as yet. A lot of relief around the world. A billion people listening and waiting for this moment. Greatest moment in history. Neil Armstrong of Wapakoneta, Ohio. Edwin Buzz Aldrin of Montclair, New Jersey. Two men on the surface of the moon. A historic moment. Mark it well. Shortly after 4.17 and a half p.m. on Sunday, July 20th, 1969. A date to live in all history. Hey, it looks like we're bending the oxygen up. Roger, Eagle, and you are stay for T1. Over. Eagle, you are stay for T1. Roger. And we see stay for T1. Roger, and we see you bending the ox. They've gotten the okay to stay on the surface of the moon. No emergency necessity of re-entering 
lunar orbit, they are going to remain on the surface of the moon. They've got the okay from Houston. They're on the surface of the moon, the first men ever to set foot in another world. July 20th, 1969. Time to live throughout all history, the beginning of man's exploration of the moon and the planets beyond. Neil Armstrong, in just under 10 hours from now, or perhaps earlier, will emerge from the eagle and set foot, the first man to set foot onto the lunar dust. Go down the nine-rung ladder of the eagle to plant his left foot on the moon's surface as TV cameras record the scene for all mankind and history. Earthlings can rejoice now. Prayer services have been answered. Copy, uh, 963 Rocky, we have it. Yes, sir, Columbia. Rocky, we ringed you five by Columbia. He has landed. Tranquility Base. Eagle is at Tranquility. Over. Official word from Houston, you have it. Mission Control in Houston giving the confirmation. Our line's still up in the mission control. Their line's open to the moon, live from the moon. You're hearing it over mutual. This historic moment, landing of the first two Americans, first two Earthlings on the surface of another world. The next major stay, no stay, will be for the T2 event. That is at uh, 21 minutes, 26 seconds after initiation of powered descent. That's a recording from the now-defunct Mutual Broadcasting System. And I love the authenticity and the excitement in the announcer's voice as he comments on the NASA communications. A few minutes later, the astronauts began describing what they were seeing on the moon. Again, no TV camera had been turned on yet. That wouldn't come until hours later when Aldrin and Armstrong took the very first moonwalk. Collection of just about every variety of uh, shape, angularity, granularity, that every variety of rock you could uh, find. The color is, uh, well, it varies pretty much depending on uh, how you're looking relative to the uh, real phase point. Uh, there doesn't appear to be too much of a general color at all. However, it looks as though some of the uh, rocks and boulders, of which there are quite a few in the uh, near area, uh, looks as though they're going to have uh, some interesting colors to them, over. Roger, copy. Your first Sounds good, uh, Tranquility. Uh, we'll let you press on through the uh, simulated countdown, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Over. That was Neil Armstrong describing the surface of the moon. See you, Tranquility. Okay, this 16 g is just like the airplane. Right, Tranquility. Uh, be advised, there are lots of smiling faces in this room and all over the world. Over. Two of them up here. Right, that was a beautiful job, you guys. And don't forget one in the command module. We'll have more of the off-ramp in just a moment. We return now to the off-ramp with Bob Smith. Man has landed on the moon. Astronauts Armstrong and Aldrin have eaten man's first meal on the moon. And within the next hour comes the next big step, man's first step on the moon. Mission Control says it's still impossible to get a firm time for that step. But the latest word is that it should happen sometime between 9.30 and 10 p.m. That's the latest word from Mission Control. Hours later, TV cameras were on when Neil Armstrong set foot on the moon, and Mutual described it for listeners hearing it on the radio. Neil Armstrong on the moon. He has stepped off that ladder. I'm going to step off the lamp now. Here we go.
Ten fifty-six and a half. He's That's down. one small step for man. Set the camera up 30 feet away so they can take in the rest of this 
lunar exploration within a hundred foot area of the Eagle. The deployment of these three major experiments, the seismometer, laser reflector, and the solar wind experiment. All going beautifully so far, the dramatic moments being recorded for all mankind. Neil Armstrong's first words, one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. You're listening to Bob Smith and the Off-Ramp and recordings I made as a teenager from radio and television 50 years ago during the Apollo 11 moon mission. These are from the Mutual Radio Network, so you're listening without pictures, of course, just as listeners heard it who weren't able to go to television sets. Of course, we couldn't record moving footage off of our television sets back then. Home video had not been invented. You just heard Neil Armstrong, his first words, his first observations. Shortly after that, Buzz Aldrin came down the ladder and joined Neil, and there were two men on the moon. Again, back to my original tapes. Got another inch. Some rock and roll goes got it. moonwalk on pretty soon. That's a good step. Part of it. Yep. About a three-footer. They're practicing that step. Aldrin jumping up and down. <laughs> That'll be the basis for a rock and roll hit this weekend. Beautiful. Beautiful. You got something? Hmm. Magnificent flight out here. Magnificent ventilation. The Armstrong Aldrin Show, live from the moon. Underneath it says, Dear man from the planet Earth, first set foot upon the moon, July 1969, 50. It came in peace for all mankind. It has the, the crew members' signatures and the signature of the President of the United States. How is the quality of the TV? Oh, it's beautiful, Mike. It really is. It's wired. Oh, there it goes. The American flag, old glory, flying yes, on the surface of the moon. There she goes, the three by five flag. Forever more. Beautiful, just beautiful. Governor Nelson Rockefeller said a few minutes ago that the imprint of all mankind has been left on the moon in the footfalls of the United States astronauts. And I think that's so true, especially at this moment where you see the American flag flying on the moon. Armstrong and Aldrin now, going back. Uh, go ahead, Mr. President. This is Houston out. Hello, Neil and Buzz. I'm talking to you by telephone from the Oval Room at the White House. And this certainly has to be the most historic telephone call ever made from the White House. I just can't tell you how proud we all are of what you have done. For every American, this has to be the proudest day of our lives. And for people all over the world, I am sure that they too join with Americans in recognizing what an immense feat this is. Because of what you have done, the heavens have become a part of man's world. And as you talk to us from the sea of tranquility, it inspires us to redouble our efforts to bring peace and tranquility to Earth. For one priceless moment in the whole history of man, all the people on this Earth are truly one. One in their pride in what you have done. And one in our prayers that you will return safely to Earth. 
honor and privilege for us to be here representing not only the United States, but men of peace of all nations, and with interest and a curiosity and, and with a vision for the future. Uh, honor for us to be able to participate here today. And thank you very much, and I look forward, all of us look forward to seeing you on the Hornet on Thursday. Look forward to that very much, sir. The mission to the surface of the moon on that Saturday, July 20th, was a success. And at 1.53 p.m. the next day, Sunday, July 21st, the astronauts lifted off from the moon and rendezvoused with Michael Collins and the orbiting spacecraft. Then the three explorers fired away from lunar orbit and returned to the Earth on July 24th. Here is the news as it was broadcast on that day, documenting their return. The Apollo 11 blazed a fiery trail from space through the atmosphere to the ocean today to end a flight which marked man's emergence into the moon age. Millions on Earth waited anxiously during the re-entry blackout for word that the capsule had indeed come safely home. That anxiety was relieved with shouts from the recovery carrier Hornet standing by in the Pacific. Yes, we see it. We see it. Here it is. Apollo 11 right down toward the prime recovery Trailing her drogue chutes, the capsule splashed into the ocean. Astronauts Neil Armstrong, Edwin Aldrin, and Michael Collins donned special non-contaminant suits, and the Navy frogmen doused them and their ship with disinfectant. Then, as the band played triumphantly, a helicopter lifted the men to the decks of the carrier and the beginning of 21 days in isolation to guard against possible lunar contamination. With Apollo 11 and her valiant crew now safe at home, we can now begin a period of assessment. Reed Collins examines the mission from the CBS Space Headquarters in New York. Apollo 11 filled in 12 dramatic minutes missing from the other flight plans, proving first that the system and men in it could land safely on the moon, and proving that even when the starting place was not precisely known, they could get off the lunar surface and rendezvous with the command ship. The timeline of the lunar walk proved too pressing, and if there were any disappointments, the largest was the omission of the documented sample collection. It had been planned for Armstrong and Aldrin to work in concert to take photographs of areas from which rock samples would be taken, take up the rocks, and then photograph the area minus the taken rocks again. This documented sampling was not done due to the press of time in the lunar walk. Armstrong did collect what he called selective samples. The two major experiments may not provide much information. The passive seismometer, so carefully placed by Edwin Aldrin, seems to be dying of solar heat stroke. It was supposed to have lasted two years. The laser reflector has not reflected yet any of the many beams of light fired up at the moon, but that could be the fault of the earthly aiming. When the analysts are all finished with the post-flight figuring, there will be dozens of suggested changes, some in equipment, others in procedure. Each flight adds to the store of knowledge. Beyond the technical range, however, there is the immense plus of proving that dedicated men can meet a challenge working against a timeline that was set in 1961, before this country had even put a man into orbit around the Earth. Characteristically, this country's a slow starter. But it met John F. Kennedy's goal with five months and 11 days to spare. Well, there you have it. Fifty years have passed since all the recordings in this program were made. A word about some of the voices you heard. Sadly, my nuclear family is no more. 
My mom died at the age of 58 in 1980. Dad passed away in 1976 at the age of 76. And my sister Susan died at the age of 55 of a brain tumor in 2012. As for my teenage friends, Mike Leverson grew up to be an interior designer, Janet Strange was a social worker, and Frank Kitchell went into the alternative energy business. At last word, they were all healthy and still on this earth. In the fall of 1969, I turned 18, packed up my gear, and headed off to college. But during that brief moment, in the summer of 1969, I paused, along with everyone else on earth, to reflect on just what all this was about. We all knew one thing. It was a moment we would all remember for the rest of our lives. Well, that's our Apollo 11 story. We thank you for listening and hope you'll join us next time when we come back with The Off-Ramp. This is Bob Smith. The Off-Ramp with Bob Smith is produced in association with CPL Radio and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarbrook, Wisconsin.